0: Hi, I'm Danny Russell, Vice President for International Security and Diplomacy at the Asia Society Policy Institute. Welcome to the latest episode of Asia Inside Out, where we take you beyond the latest policy headlines and provide an insider's view on Asian and global affairs. Today, we're lucky to be joined by Dennis Kwok, a member of the Hong Kong Legislative Council, or LegCo, and a founding member of the Civic Party. For a discussion of the political situation and the economic situation in Hong Kong, relations with the United States, and prospects for the future. So Dennis, welcome to the Asia Society, and thank you for joining us. Thank
1: you, Danny. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we're glad to have you. I'll begin with a broader question about U.S.-China relations. Uh, the trade dispute has morphed lately into something that looks a lot more like strategic rivalry than just trade problems. And we see Chinese companies like Huawei and ZTE have been implicated in apparently serious sanctions violations. The Belt and Road Initiative is regarded by uh, many Americans with a great deal of skepticism. Uh, There are stories uh, all over the international media about re-education camps in Xinjiang, concerns about... Human rights more broadly. The Trump administration and its national security strategy is labeling China as a strategic threat, as a competitor, almost as an adversary. So, how do these tensions impact Hong Kong, in, in, in your view?
1: Well, um, from where we see things in Hong Kong, I mean, when we heard the speech by Vice President Pence at the Hudson Institute, it's almost a declaration of a second Cold War. From our point of view and people that we've been speaking to uh, throughout this year i've been out to the united states twice and speaking with our friends both in the democratic camp and republican camp it seems like a a consensus has formed um, which is a bipartisan consensus that China is a threat to the United States. So the trade war is no longer, from our point of view, just about trade. It is really about a strategic rivalry, as you put it, Danny. And for Hong Kong, um, we are caught between a, a rock and a hard place, frankly, because we needed international businesses. We need it. Um, uh, the international community to believe that one country, two system is still working and wor- working well. But all the reason signs is showing that one country, two system is not doing well. And uh, the political freedoms and human rights of the Hong Kong people are being curtailed. Uh, mostly political rights are being curtailed. The uh, political selection of candidates who can and cannot run for public office is now um, decided by the executive branch. Uh, and uh, we're seeing that the liberal democratic values in Hong Kong are slowly being chipped away with, uh, for example, a foreign journalist of the Financial Times was basically kicked out of Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. That's never happened before, um, but at the same time, we don't want to, you know, I, uh, certainly uh, for me, we don't want hostility with mainland China, we want to have economic cooperation. Not, but not at the expense of one country, two system. And for the international community, we want people to continue to travel to Hong Kong and invest in Hong Kong. But that is uh, becoming more difficult.
0: Well, I want to probe a little more deeply on the one country, two systems uh, situation. Before I do, though, Dennis, Hong Kong has for many years served as an entry point and as a bridge Uh, for Americans uh, to mainland China, uh, including not just for trade and commerce, but for understanding. Is there a prospect that Hong Kong and uh, political figures in Hong Kong can play a role both in helping Americans to understand uh, what works and what doesn't work, how to influence uh, Beijing, how to address problematic behavior, but also in influencing and educating uh, leaders in Beijing about what it is that the world is complaining about, why there is so much opprobrium and criticism aimed at China now.
1: Um, You know, Hong Kong has always served as the international channel both ways for uh, uh, the Americans and the international community towards China and the other way around. But what I feel uh, more and more is that um, it is difficult to get through to Beijing uh, as to why, number one, that the Hong Kong people and the international community are worried about the uh, state of one country, two systems. From their point of view, from the Chinese government point of view, uh, the people I've spoken to is that nothing is wrong. In fact, they are doing exactly what they should be doing. Um, And uh, when I'm here in America, I'm doing exactly what um, you described, Danny. I'm trying to help the international community, especially the United States, um, to understand what's going on um, because we speak the same language and we care very much about the same values. Um, And if Hong Kong's only, I mean, the only place in China uh, uh, with liberal democratic values is Hong Kong. A lot of people, Hong Kong people care about these values. And um, it will be a huge loss to the international community to see Hong Kong go down um, the path that it is currently on, I believe. Um, so it is in the interest of everyone, uh, especially United States, to keep Hong Kong and support Hong Kong, to um, pay attention to what's happening in Hong Kong.
0: Well, you allude to a mindset that I think many Americans and, uh, frankly, uh, many in the West complain about with regard to Beijing, namely the notion that uh, there is no problem, that this is the way it should be, that it's all okay. How can you uh, or we convey to decision makers in Beijing that the erosion of the two systems uh, principle is hurting not just the people or the businesses of Hong Kong, but is uh, detrimental to China's image and to China's interests? Yeah,
1: well, first of all, I think we can still work on the assumption that both sides, meaning both the U.S., the international community, and uh, the Chinese government want Hong Kong to succeed. Um, I think there is no... Um, there's no reason to doubt that assumption. I still believe those in Beijing want Hong Kong to succeed as an international city, but they need to understand what makes Hong Kong an international city. It is it's openness, uh, it's, um, uh the rule of law, uh, uh, the respect for liberal values, freedom of speech and association, what have you. Um, if these values are undermined constantly by a policy from Beijing, then um, the world will no longer see Hong Kong as what it is. That's a huge, the biggest um, uh, loss I think it would be for China. Now, it, w- working on that assumption, I think um, US needs to look at the Hong Kong Policy Act of 1992 that Congress enacted and asked uh, whether um, there are signs that shows one country, two system is no longer uh, what what it meant to be, uh, and that it is the substance of it are uh, really going away. And they should issue, um, a lot of my friends on both sides of the political field um, here have said that they should be uh, issuing a very clear statement, uh, whether by way of a, a congressional motion or otherwise, to tell the Chinese government, we are looking at Hong Kong. And these are the conditions which worry us. Uh, So your political screening of candidates, you're kicking out journalists, um, you are threatening to enact a very draconian uh, national security legislation, and you continue to deny Hong Kong people democracy. That's promised under the basic law. And these are the signs and conditions that we will test against the notion of whether there is still one country, two systems. I think a very clear message should come out from the uh, United States uh, political uh, uh, group or spectrum to tell the Hong Kong government and the Chinese government that they're being watched. And um, uh, if things continue to go down the same path, uh, the U.S. will will have to reconsider.
0: Now, when I was in government, and I think more broadly, there's been uh, a long-held, much-cherished hypothesis that uh, the decision-makers in Beijing understand that Hong Kong is the goose that lays the golden egg, so to speak, and that preserving uh, judicial independence, preserving the rule of law and a strong tradition of civil servants, preserving the traditions that have made Hong Kong such a successful financial center is crucial to China's own uh, interests. It's not clear, though, from the developments that culminated in the Occupy Central movement or in the years since, that uh, that golden goose theory is really uh, as effective as we had hoped with mm. policymakers in Beijing. What what do you see?
1: What I see is that Hong Kong is the only true international financial and business center in the whole of China. Now, uh, you may remember five, 10 years ago, there are people saying, look, you know, we can replicate another 10 Hong Kong in mainland China, and Hong Kong would no longer be what it is. But um, I think what happened in the 2015 Shanghai stock market crash, and what happened afterwards, uh, people everywhere realized that Shanghai, uh, or Shenzhen for that matter, is no way uh, close in uh, taking over Hong Kong's role as the international financial center for a simple reason that if you don't have the free flow of information, capital and people and the rule of law, you cannot run a uh, international financial center, no matter how strong the hardware is, you don't have the software. Um, I think people know that people are no longer talking about replicating Hong Kong, uh, uh, because anyone with a with the understanding of the situation know that is not possible. Now, given that is at stake, and Uh, given the U.S.-China trade war situation. I think Hong Kong's strategic importance has actually increased. But um, as you said, it seems like the policy from Beijing uh, towards Hong Kong or maintaining one country, two system, maintaining its international system is out of sync with that strategic uh, goal in mind. Now, you mentioned the rule of law, Danny. I just want to say that the judiciary in Hong Kong is uh, fiercely independent. and still is. I mean, uh, the judges are of very high quality and also the legal profession uh, whom I represent are one of the best, I would say, in the world, world class. But um, just because the judges and the lawyers are are adamant in uh, protecting rule of law, that is not enough by itself. You need the whole society, liberal democratic values to be intact. Now, if those are being threatened, then the rule of law itself will be threatened. And that is what Beijing needs to understand.
0: That's a good point. So... You know, on the one hand, there is the uh, tradition you mentioned of uh, judicial independence and probity. Uh, And I know that just by the number of barristers per square foot in Hong Kong that that tradition is very much alive. But at the same time, as you mentioned, uh, national security law is imminent. Uh, There was a serious contretemps over the... uh, the the sovereignty uh, question associated with the uh, creation of a security zone in yeah. in the, in in the, the, the middle station. of Hong Kong, yes, yeah, uh, and we all know that uh, there is a tactic of self censorship uh, that has been employed with, in many cases, a considerable degree of success that doesn't uh, entail overtly uh, suborning or overturning legal processes, but does tend to shade the outcomes. And as you said, the sustenance of a liberal uh, society is going to be a critical factor in being able to preserve these uh, legal traditions. What should we expect? You mentioned
1: um, a cloud over the rule of law process. I mean, the, a cloud being, we see it as the National People's Congress Standing Committee exercise of this um, interpretation power over the basic law. And what we've seen in the past is they are weaponizing increasingly, weaponizing this power uh, to preempt uh, what a court in Hong Kong would rule, uh, or to have a predetermined outcome. So no matter how independent a judiciary uh, is, Um, there is um, always a a cloud hanging over uh, its head. And if necessary, they would use this power to ensure a court process would arrive at a certain result. Um, And uh, that is hugely problematic for for Hong Kong. Um, The Hong Kong courts, as I said, you know, we have the best common law judges from around the world, from uh, Australia, Canada, UK, sitting in a court of final appeal. Um, There's no issue over the process but it is the overall atmosphere and the overall constitutional structure and interestingly um a high level official uh, the chairman of the basic law committee i believe um his title is um that he came to hong kong and said that the prc constitution applies in hong kong it applies in hong kong and uh uh, and he purported to set out his reason in, the, in his speech. But really, basically, all they're saying is that the PRC constitution applies in Hong Kong. Now, with this kind of rhetoric, and with this kind of policy, how do you expect people in the West or in the United States continue to believe that Hong Kong is still operating under one country, two system? And one of the key issues during my trip that people repeatedly raise is how do you ensure Hong Kong will not act as China's proxy Mm -hmm. in furthering its geopolitical agenda. So, for example, um, you have the uh, case of uh, Huawei, of Ms. Meng, the CFO of Huawei, using a Hong Kong company, I believe, to uh, do trades with Iran. And I believe that this is not the only case. And um, then the West would have justifiable doubts over Hong Kong's um, high degree of autonomy.
0: Absolutely. Well, if I... I'm remembering right, the 92 Hong Kong Act uh, requires Hong Kong to protect sensitive technology. That's directly germane to the Huawei case. How would you or do you make the case to Congress in the US or to an American audience that notwithstanding the potential jeopardy to technology? Uh, through Hong Kong and notwithstanding the erosion of autonomy, uh, that in fact the Hong Kong Act should be uh, sustained and not amended.
1: That's a very good question uh, Danny. I My position during this trip uh, meeting with um, a lot of foreign policy experts like yourself is that um, I do not wish to see the Hong Kong Policy Act immediately revoked or changed. Because that would mean pushing Hong Kong down the cliff, together with it, the Hong Kong people. Uh, Because the the surest sign of a, um, uh, if I may call it a death certificate, is the US government saying to the world that it no longer believes in one country, two systems. We don't want to see that. But at the same time, um, I think a very careful balance has to be struck that the US government or the Congress need to make it absolutely clear to the Chinese government and the Hong Kong government that um, if you see certain conditions continue to sustain and democracy continues to be denied to the Hong Kong people, why shouldn't the US Congress or or the US government uh, reconsider uh, its policy towards Hong Kong? It's only fair. As they say, you can't have your cake and eat it. If you are not prepared to live up to the true notion of one country, two system, and allow its substance to continue to, to exist. Why should the West or the US government treat Hong Kong any differently from it, the way it treats mainland China? This is a case that the Hong Kong government needs to uh, make in front of the international community. And this is, has got to a point where I don't want to use the word ultimatum, but almost uh, an ultimatum has been issued uh, whereby um, people here in the United States are saying, look, you know, we're concerned. And if it continue to go that direction, we will have to revoke the U.S. Policy Act. This is certainly the message I have been receiving during this trip from our friends in America.
0: And I think you're referring also to the China Economic and Security Review Commission report. Yes, that, the USCC report. That opened the door to this possibility. Yeah. How is the business community in Hong Kong responding to the report or to the suggestion that the United States might revisit the Hong Kong... They were
1: shocked. Um, You know, most of the local business um, sectors have been very pro-Beijing since uh, 1997 or even before that. So their political disposition is that they would agree with most, or if not all, of the things uh, that Beijing said. But with the issuance of this report, what we saw is an immediate withdrawal of a motion in Leggo that's been tabled, to push for the Article 23 national security legislation. The motion was, was withdrew by a, the pro-establishment members mm-hmm. of uh, LegCo. That is how concerned they are because they look at the USCC report. It mentions Article 23 and a whole host of other things. They immediately recognize if we push for this for whatever reason they have, the US will act. And so I say to our friends in America, don't, do not underestimate the power and influence that you have Uh, especially with Hong Kong, because we are open international trading hub. And if U.S. reconsider its policy towards Hong Kong, it would have enormous impact on Hong Kong. I think the U.S. government is the only uh, government in the world that has that kind of leverage.
0: So how do you think the uh, pro-Beijing members of LegCo that you alluded to or or others who have the ear of uh, leaders in China's Communist Party are uh, explaining the risk in continuing to uh, diminish the autonomy of Hong Kong and to uh, meld the two systems. Do you think that uh, they can make a good business case to uh, Beijing about what the significance of this report is?
1: Um, The problem is, Danny, I don't see that kind of dialogue happening. Um, I know know, friends on the pro-establishment side, some of whom I respect, um, uh, they are not uh, uh, making the case, at least uh, to uh, the Chinese authorities, to say that, look, your existing policy is undermining uh, our collective goal, let's say collective goal, of trying to maintain Hong Kong the way it is, um, and you are, in fact, undermining it. But I don't see that kind of dialogue happening. Um, and maybe no one is uh, really has the ear of President Xi Jinping, because uh, from the way we see things is that um, most of the officials do not have the decision-making power, especially uh, on high-level policy towards Hong Kong. Someone needs to tell uh, uh, President Xi, uh, preferably our chief executive, Kerry Lam, needs to make it very clear to President Xi that one country, two system, if it continues that way, the international community will change his view fundamentally towards Hong Kong.
0: Well, how would Carrie Lam uh, rebut the claim by uh, Xi Jinping in a hypothetical conversation mm. that it's really the pro-democracy forces in Hong Kong that have stirred up trouble, that have gotten the international community all agitated, uh, and that, in fact, this is just another example of foreign interference in, uh, in the one country, in China, that the, uh, that the uh, USCC report, for example, is uh, an unfair and unjustified intrusion into the business of China and Hong Kong?
1: Well, none of us have spoken, myself included, to the USC, USCC uh, uh, committee uh, before they issued a report. Uh, and in fact, all the uh, 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 the facts that has been stated in the report is uh, uh, what they are. They are facts. You did kick out a journalist uh, from Financial Times. You did disqualify lawmakers and candidates, and you did uh, prosecute uh, a lot of the uh, Democrats who were involved in Occupied. And in fact, on the way out to United States, uh, two of my colleagues, another two of my lawmaker colleagues from the Democratic side, are being prosecuted. Uh, and these are facts. Um, If you want to rebut them, you need to come up with reasons. And all they have done so far, the Hong Kong government, is to deny and criticize the report, but without engaging in what I see as much-needed constructive dialogue with the US uh, and the people that that matter in in the political arena to explain their case. Um, If they are so firmly in belief of their position, they can, I'm sure... Uh, explain their case to the U.S. uh, business and political community.
0: Uh, Dennis, 2019 will mark the fifth anniversary of the umbrella movement of Occupy Central. What happened to that spirit? Uh, What happened to that movement?
1: You know, a lot of young people feel very disappointed after the umbrella movement because nothing much was achieved. Um, But realistically, of course, you, you, you can't expect much Uh, to to, to happen Um, but they are very uh, disappointed Uh, and what we see is the occupied leaders are being prosecuted uh, based on old colonial offenses and some of them will be facing jail time for up to two to three years Um, and uh, that put off a lot of young people and the young people say the representatives that re-elected were all disqualified uh, and barred from ever running for public office why should we bother? I mean this seems like there is no hope. Uh, I mean, I think that hopelessness amongst young people is, is a huge factor right now in Hong Kong politics. And um, it hurts those who are involved in the process to see that kind of low voters turnout, young people disillusioned. Um, it's not good for Hong Kong.
0: Is there any reason to think or any case to be made that there are measurable negative uh, economic, uh, commercial, financial Consequences uh, to China that it could reconsider.
1: You know, I think a lot of it is driven by the paranoia uh, of a uh, authoritarian state, which is mainland China. They they have to control everything. They see any little slightest uh, uh, political uncertainty as something that has to be grasped with the full force. Uh, of the authoritarian state. So, for example, the, the banning of a political group called the Hong Kong Independence Party recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, hardly anyone, including myself, have heard of this group or uh, the people involved in this group. Um, but in fact, they, they by persecuting them, they you make a big story out of these people and they, you give them a huge platform. In fact, how many people in Hong Kong really support Hong Kong independence? Nobody does, I, I believe. And um, But by pursuing them with the full vigor of the state, you are actually giving them the biggest platform to uh, advocate their beliefs. So it's counterproductive, totally counterproductive, the policy.
0: And in the business community, are there those that uh, will make the case that uh, this is bad for business?
1: Well, um, the business community has been kind of silent so far. But um, the American Chamber of Commerce came up with a very strong statement when uh, they evicted uh, Victor Marlott, the Financial Times journalist. Uh, It's good to hear that uh, the international business community led by AmCham is finally speaking out because someone in the international business community need to say to Hong Kong government, look, this is stupid. This is bad for Hong Kong, bad for business. You better think twice before you do something like that ever again.
0: Well, Dennis, I know you have a plane to catch. Thank you, Danny. Uh, But I am grateful for you stopping by the Asia Society today.
1: Thank you, Danny. Thank you very much for your time and Asia Society for organizing
0: this. Thank you all for listening. Uh, This has been Danny Russell from the Asia Society Policy Institute as we've brought you the latest episode of Asia Inside Out with Dennis Kwok.